um, for Christmas we were watching a movie, a Christmas movie. Um, I like to make some nice lessons before the holidays and so there was this one scene which was quite emotional, not really, but when I watched the movie the first time I started to cry obviously because I always cry and so when that scene came on every single student of my class turned around and looked at me expecting me to cry. Life is a trip. No matter where you've been or where you're going, you might have more in common with someone on the other side of the world than you think. Let's go. So welcome back everybody to the Life's a Trip podcast. Today I'm super excited to introduce you guys to my friend Jana. Hi, I'm Jana. I live in Hanover, Germany. I met Gia through her boyfriend Flo, which is the best friend of my boyfriend, so we kind of met through our boys. Um, I am 29 years old, still, one month, and I'm a teacher for German and English. Awesome. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. She's actually the first friend that I had in Germany, and um, it's really nice that, you know, we get to reconnect here through the podcast, even though, you know, we're dealing with the quarantine and we're still having distance because of that. Let's hope, you know, we can get together soon sometime. We're not so far away anymore, so that's nice. Um, And yeah, Jana has just been telling me a lot about her experiences with teaching during the quarantine. So let's start off with, like, what inspired you to actually be a teacher and what age range are you teaching? Um, so I teach fifth grade. They are about like uh, 11 up to 10th grade. They're about like 15, 16. Uh, currently, I am only teaching in sixth grade because I have an own sixth, sixth class. And I do teach in seventh and eighth grade some lessons, but not that much. So mainly I teach in in grade or well, in year six. Um, mm-hmm. What inspired me to be a teacher is a good question. Actually, I didn't know that I wanted to be a teacher until I was, I think, 21 or something. I always wanted to be a doctor. And um, I was still doing school because I paused school for a bit when I was 17. So I did my first diploma and then I started working and I recognized, okay, maybe I want to go to uni. And for going to uni in Germany, you need to have the highest school education So I went back to school, I did that, and while I was doing that, I kind of was confused what I wanted to do. And so the mom of my boyfriend, she saw me helping his little cousin with the homework, and she asked me, like, why aren't you going to do something like that, be a teacher or something like that? And I kind of thought about that, and then I recognized, yeah, that's actually kind of cool, I really want to do that, and so I became a teacher. Would you say that it's a pretty good career to have in Germany, because, you know, in the U.S., the whole education system is uh, a little bit underpaid, you could say, <laughs> for some yeah. people. Yeah, Germany, yeah, it's it's really cool to be a teacher because your job is super safe. Um, you are kind of a state official, so um, you basically can't be fired except for you doing something really, really stupid. And also, especially now during this quarantine, everyone is worrying about their like jobs and their wages and stuff like that but I don't because I know even though I'm staying at home and I don't have that much work to do as I had before and also on holidays we get paid and we don't have to worry about like getting paid or getting our money and maybe losing our jobs it's pretty safe but obviously you have a lot to do people don't see that 
they, um, there's the saying in, in Germany that um, teachers are right in the until noon and then the afternoon is free. They are like lazy. But oh. that's not how it is, actually. Um, so we work until like three, sometimes until one or something. But we do have to do a lot of work at home. So I always sit in the afternoon planning my lessons, correcting some tests, um, talking to parents, talking to colleague, colleagues. So actually, I do work a lot more than, for example, my boyfriend, who is an engineer. So I do work at the weekends. I do work in holidays. So it's a lot of work. But you also have a lot of advantages. Yeah, I can imagine. And I think that's really great that, you know, you're supported so much by the country, by the government, because, you know, teachers are really essential. <laughs> Speaking of the quarantine, um, how is that, I guess, set up now for your students here in Germany? Because I had heard that for some people, it's like just they don't assign anything. But is that the case or is it mandatory or what is actually the case for the students now? It's super, super confusing because every state is doing it differently. I feel like so I'm teaching in Lower Saxony as I said in the beginning I'm from Hanover so they don't ha the students don't have to do the task we we are giving them but they can mm -hmm. but we are not allowed uh, allowed to put them into the grades we have to give them and it's official until now that the school is going back at 20 20th of April even though now it doesn't seem like it but there's nothing official yet And it's kind of super confusing because nobody really knows what is going on. And we can give tasks, but we can't grade them. And it's like mm. nobody really knows what's going on. And we're just waiting for more information to come up. Yeah, that's... We're just working by email a lot. And I write emails to my students a lot and to their parents and to my colleagues. And we are working on projects um, like with teachers working on projects via Skype and some other apps, yeah. Yeah, are you communicating with parents as well to see if they're doing anything on their end to like keep their kids, I guess, uh, in the loop <laughs> with what you've been teaching? Yeah, we are writing emails a lot. Sometimes I call them if there are uh, problems, uh, if they write me an email that they don't know how to do this task. And yeah, it's easier talking to them via telephone than via email and you can explain it a bit better but yeah I do communicate with parents of course I, I think it's not possible without doing that yeah definitely well cool what exactly made you decide that you wanted to teach English because I can't do anything else <laughs> <laughs> I always um so I'm teaching German and English and now I'm also teaching art which I didn't study um oh cool and so I always was a fan of the English language. I always traveled a lot to England and my cousin lived in England for a while. So I always knew that this is something I really, really like. And I lo loved the language and loved speaking English, obviously. So uh, in Germany, you have to, oh, in Lower Saxony, you have to study um, two subjects for mm -hmm. my school form where I'm teaching. And so I, it was pretty easy that I wanted to do English. And with the other one, I struggled a bit. I didn't know what. I wanted to do and then I always liked German as well and literature and stuff like that but I wasn't sure if I wanted to have two main subjects and two really um, work intensive subjects but yeah then I decided that's what I can do best and that's what I really love so it was quite easy to to know that I was going to be an English teacher. 
Yes. Yeah, that's super cool. And what uh, what town did you say your cousin was living? Oh yeah, my cousin. When she married, her husband was in the, I think he was in the British Army, and mm-hmm. he was stationed over here in Germany. And they met, and they married, and then they moved to the south of England. It was somewhere close to Southampton. I don't know where exactly to be sure. And yeah, oh, okay. for a couple of years, and we kind of went there and visited them a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, I went to to London first with my mother and my sister, and we spent a couple of days in London, and then we went to the south and visited my cousin and my great cousins. So you've been to London several times. Um, what can you recommend for people interested in going to visit over there? Oh, yeah. I, I spent my um, uni time there. I didn't went to uni there. I didn't go mm-hmm. to uni there. Um, I worked there for three months. Um, and the place I always loved the most is Camden. It's kind of like obvious and every tourist guide will tell you that so it's not really a secret tip or something but Mm -hmm. I really love it and it's so cool and it's always changing and it's never the same when you go back and they're like so um they're like super cool places and stores and people and it's always amazing going there yeah it's my always go-to favorite spot in London what are some of the differences I guess between England and Germany that you noticed Coffee and tea. Oh yeah. <laughs> We're coffee drinkers. Like I know, I've, like I only know coffee drinkers, except for mm-hmm. the British people I know. They are going for the tea. That's the main. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely noticed that too. Yeah, but it's like, don't mess with Germans that didn't have coffee. <laughs> Especially teachers that didn't have coffee. I'm oh, sure. Yeah. That that's a big <laughs> actually. Teachers coming into the teacher's room being like, did someone make coffee, please? Where's the coffee? Yeah. <laughs> Basically me, but there are others as well. Yeah. And how do you actually balance your um, personal life as a teacher with your social life? Speaking of that, and we mentioned it earlier, just trying to like balance it and also keep you know your students outside of your personal life as well. Yeah. So I blocked my Instagram and Facebook and everything. So no one can see that except for the people I accept. Um, because I think that you need to have some personal space. I know colleagues that um, have students follow them on Instagram and they follow students, but I like that is my personal life and I do share personal moments. I mean, you know, my Instagram, it's not nothing on there that they couldn't see or that is um, embarrassing for me, but still it's just my life and I, I like to decide what I show them and what not. So if I go on vacation, for example, when I went to New York in January, February, um, I took many, many pictures and I brought them into classroom and we went through this. So they know something about me. They they get to know me as a person, but I decide how, how far that goes. And that is really important to me. And mm-hmm. obviously taking some time off because as a teacher, you're never really finished. You can always improve your lessons and you have always that feeling oh I can improve that worksheet I can make that a bit nicer I can make that a bit prettier okay uh, do this task a bit clearer and you always have that feeling to to wanting to improve something but you need to be at one certain point you need to be like okay now I'm done I'm I'm good now and I'm turning off my laptop and I'm now is my free time so that is quite important and also it's 
it's good when you make friends in with your colleagues. So it's not always feeling like working when you're sitting together in the breaks and you can also talk about some private stuff and not always about school because sometimes you have a um you have some free time, you have some lessons in between that are not filled. And mm -hmm. it's nice to have someone in the teacher's room to talk with. Because that is another thing that happens a lot when you have a break that you only talk about school with your colleagues, not about like your free time or your their children or your whatever. It's always about mm -hmm. school. And so then you quickly get the feeling, I didn't have a break today. I only worked and it was all about school. And yeah, <laughs> I come home a lot and just talking about my students because they're also funny. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell that. And then my boyfriend is often like, okay, can we please stop talking about school now? Please. <laughs> they are funny most of the time. What are some stories you have that maybe you can share from a couple of memories that are funny with your students? Oh, they, they just, they um, get to know me so well. And I don't always recognize how much I'm telling them about myself. But then in certain situations, you feel like, okay that might have slipped out sometimes and uh, mm -hmm. so um for christmas we were watching a movie a christmas movie um i like to make some nice lessons before the holidays and so there was this one scene which was quite emotional not really but when i watched the movie the first time i started to cry obviously because i always cry and so when that scene came on every single student of my class turned around and looked at me expecting me to cry and so they knew that oh. this is something where I usually would cry and I didn't in the classroom lucky um, mm -hmm. but it was kind of funny for me that they knew that this was the scene that is most likely for me to be emotional and also just what they say sometimes it's just like how they react to something I do have one student you wouldn't expect that from her but I always imitate her a bit and make fun of her. And she's like, she's, she's one of the cool kids. And so you would expect her to be like a bit, um, you would expect her to be a bit snapped with this and a bit angry, but she isn't. Mm -hmm. She is like always coming to me and be like, oh, Ms. Hasselman, can you do that again? Can you do that again, please? It's so funny. Yeah. She's laughing the loudest. And I love that about them, that Aww. they are kind of funny, yeah. Yeah, you definitely build like a connection with them and, and that's really cool, I think, with that age group as well. It's a little yeah. bit easier because they're getting more mature or maybe not easier, but interesting. <laughs> I think it's easier to build a relationship with the younger ones and then when they get older, you already have the relationship. But then I remembered I started to teach in ninth grade in my training and I built mm -hmm. a relationship with them quite quickly. So they were older. I think it just really depends on the class. Because I do have groups that are harder for me to teach and harder to build a relationship to. But yeah. I, I don't think that it depends on the age group, actually. I think it's just the group and how they are connected with, with each other and with the teachers. And yeah. Yeah. And how does it work when you're um, teaching your students English and German? Like, is it usually within the same class or is it separate classes? Like, how is that, how is that actually set up? Okay, so I... I'm a class teacher of uh, one class and mm -hmm. I am responsible for them. So I have them in German and English. And also we do have homework lessons 
where they can uh, practice what we did or uh, do the homework and stuff like that so they don't have to do it at home and I do ha I do that in my class and also some um, organizational stuff like if we uh, have some some projects or class trips coming up I do that in my class I'm responsible for that and then I have two arts uh, classes in year seven and year eight and another English class in year six and then mm -hmm. I'm also um, in the class where I'm teaching English where I'm not the class teacher um, I help the German teacher so I am in his lesson okay. and I'm kind of his assistant and also he's in my English lessons so we're with two teachers then which is quite good for that class because they're challenging Interesting. Well, I know a lot of people also might be wondering, like, how the German school system is set up. I know it's pretty complicated, but if you have any way to explain that a little bit, at least at your level, like, how does that actually work? And, and yeah, because yeah. some teachers actually have multiple levels, uh, multiple grades, right, in one class sometimes, or, like, multiple levels that they would teach, which is interesting, yeah. because in the U.S., I think some teachers, especially in elementary school, are, like, just one grade you know they're not really switching around to different ages or anything like this yeah it's quite common that you have different grades like mm -hmm. usually you're not only in one grade that's kind of special um for my schedule because I have this assistant role um with the other teacher and so we do have some less lessons of our own which is quite nice because we obviously have to plan less um mm -hmm. it's complicated so we have uh, the primary school and it's usually year one to four but some states have it from year one to six mm -hmm. and some states have year one to four the primary school and then year five and six another in-between school where they kind of decide yeah to continue to go yeah we have that too it's like middle school yeah right mm -hmm. and so um then after primary school or after middle school, depends on which state you live, um, you are separated into different schools. So we have like, um, that. that's how it used to be, basically. So we had the Hauptschule, which was um, going up to year nine. It was the easiest one, so to say. And then we had the Realschule, which was kind of the middle thing. And it was going up to year 10. And then we had the gymnasium, which was going up to year 12 or 13. And you need to have the Abitur, the A-levels, from the gymnasium to mm -hmm. go to uni. You could only go to, to uni with that diploma. Um, otherwise, you could do like a an apprenticeship, is it the word? Where you go yeah. directly and learn a job. Right, so now it kind of changes a bit. So we have this comprehensive schools. This is where I'm teaching. So the students are not separated anymore, but they all go into one school altogether. But we still have the oh. other schools as well. So after yeah. primary school or after middle school, you can kind of decide where you want to go. Um, and that's what I did. And when I went to school, I still had the middle school. Um, mm -hmm. It was before it was... Um, cancelled here in Lower Saxony and I went to the middle school to the Realschule and I went there up to year 10 and got my diploma and then I started working a bit and then I decided to do my A-levels and went to the gymnasium yeah that's how, how it went so I think that's the clearest way there are some other school forms 
still, but that would be too yeah. much to explain everything. No, I mean, it's it's good, I think, just to hear it in that way from a, a German person, because I have no idea still how to explain that, because to me, it's kind of mind-boggling that actually you can have a mix of, like, high schoolers with really young kids, and, and I was asking my boyfriend about that, like, what, how is this possible? Like, isn't it weird, because you see, you see a guy with a beard, like, even when I was going into high school, I was, I think, 14, 15, yeah, like 14 when I first started. And it was like so weird to see these. They look like to me, they look 30 and they were, you know, 18 year olds. But to me, I was like, wow, these kids are like huge. They have beards. They're like so developed, everybody. Like, I don't know. I feel like such a scrawny little teenager. It's kind <laughs> so, of yeah. The, the 10th graders, because only our school is only going up to year 10. And then you see the five graders. Um, in comparison and they're so small and tiny when they come yeah. and they're sometimes they're really cute and then they grow up to be 10th graders and nearly adults which is mm-hmm. which is insane yeah how old are they usually when they finish school usually like after you're done with everything and you get to the a levels a levels they are 18 or 19 depends if they're doing 12 or 13 years because that's mm-hmm. also it's kind of every state is doing it differently so it's not like that Mm -hmm. Germany has one system but they're all doing their own thing and some have 12 years they change it it was 13 years like all the time and then they changed it into 12 years and then they recognized oh well that's not going too too good um we have to change it back to 13 years and Mm -hmm. some states did and other others didn't so Yeah. yeah wow does that happen pretty often where they just change it? Like, who's doing that and how does that work? Like, is it pretty easy to transition? Like, is that, has that happened while you've been working? They do come up with new ideas that they want to have in school. And that's kind of the thing being a state official because the government of Lower Saxony, for example, that is responsible for schools and um, education um, can just tell us what to do and we have to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though we might not have the resources for that, that's why I'm I'm the assistant teacher because they told us, okay, we have to include handicapped students that have a learning disab- disabilities, and maybe other disabilities, and include them in your lessons. And we don't have enough teachers for these students, and you can't do that mm-hmm. alone because, as I said before, in our school, it's um, we have all the kids in one classroom and we don't separate them um, depending on their educational level and what they are able to do and so when mm-hmm. I'm in an English lesson for example let us say I want them to write an email I have to plan on three sometimes four different levels for everyone to get that and also not feel wow. bored because if I would give the easier task to the strong students they would be finished in a second. So I have to raise the level for them and also lower it for the others. So if you then have children with learning disabilities in your classroom, it's nearly impossible to really get everyone to understand what you're trying to teach and also not um, not being bored all the time. So that's why yeah. this assistant... Um, project going on because usually you have especially trained teachers for that but we don't have enough so I was taking over another job so to say 
That's definitely a common thing, not having enough uh, teachers. <laughs> right. Heard that before, yeah. Um, and wow, that's really complicated, I think, to, to balance all of that and to like get everyone educated at this, I mean, not at the same level, but at the level that they need to, like, yeah. I guess, cater to their needs, right? But yeah. what um, do you think that it's, it's actually a better system, the school that you're in, or would you actually prefer to work in, like, um, you mentioned it's like Hochschule, right? It's like a higher school level or whatever the level is called for the, yeah. the more qualified students, I guess you could say, with higher grades. Mm -hmm. No, I really like the level that I, uh, or the, the uh, system that I'm teaching in. Mm -hmm. I chose it consciously because when I finished my training, I was able to decide on which school form I w wanted to go. And I mm -hmm. chose the comprehensive school because I think that it's really, really good if we put all of them together. So they, it's a lot of, about social learning. Um, I have to, even though if I understand it, I have to take care of someone who maybe doesn't. And I can mm -hmm. help them and also I can ask for help and maybe the student that is not good in English is really good in in um, German or in math or something and they can help each other. And, th and so they kind of learn that everyone has their, um, their subjects that they are good in and they all work together somehow and it's easier to, to transfer um, to a higher level because at some point they are divided into different courses depending on the levels in higher grades but it's easier to transfer from one class into another than from one school into another and also yeah. you don't have to be really good in all of the subjects but in certain subjects and you can have for me it was always math that was so bad I was really really bad in that so I didn't have to be <laughs> be an expert in mathematics to to get a good education and to get a good diploma because I could be good in German and English for example and that would save me so to say I really yeah. like that yes yeah same here I think that's that's really cool actually because that's something very different in the United States where you often have to go and study all of these subjects and you might not be good at one and it can hold you back and and that's one thing I was going to ask you is that possible actually where students can get held back in their grade if they're not really succeeding like getting good scores and things like that or um do you know what I mean or no <laughs> uh, is it like that they have to repeat a year yeah exactly like yeah. having to repeat a grade it's not it is possible in our school but only if they do it voluntarily is it the word yeah voluntarily yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so if I, as a teacher, would tell them, like, it would be best for you to go back to year six, for example, and do that again, they can decide, okay, I want to do that because maybe I missed some important stuff. But we can't force them to do that. Whereas in, in the yeah. other school systems where it's um, divided, they can do it. I repeated year nine myself because I had, uh, in Germany, you don't get ABC as grades you get one two three four five six and mm -hmm. six is the worst and one is the best and if you have two uh, fives in your in your diploma at end of this end of the school year you have to repeat the year basically that's what happened to me in yeah. our school system it's not possible they have to we have to let them into the next year except for them wishing to go back Interesting. Have you ever heard of or had to deal with something like that before? Yeah, we just had in the one class I'm teaching and we just had a student that 
came back into year six mm -hmm. from year seven because he recognized in year seven, oh, that's not what I'm like. I do have to repeat some some topics that were taught in year six. I think I'm better there. And so he came back and is now in year six and doing well. Yeah, I actually really like that system. It sounds like a little bit better because it's at your own discretion if you think you can, yeah. you know, repeat it and or if you I mean, if you think you can move on or if you think you have to repeat it, where like actually I did that in high school with one of my classes but not like the whole grade, like my um I can't remember. I think it was Spanish actually where I thought I was super high level in Spanish because I am fluent but the whole grammar and, and actually writing part was too difficult. So I m managed to go back and I think that's nice to have a little bit of freedom, but yeah, yeah it depends on the student, that, I guess. I still have that in English. I think I'm, I'm quite fluent in English. I do make some mm -hmm. mistakes, obviously, but I, when I'm teaching stuff, I do have to prepare and I'm like, especially with grammar, I'm like, Oh, well, interesting. That is why I have to use that. So I'm using that, but I don't know why. So if I'm teaching that, I kind of learn learn it again and yeah yeah right that was it I think that's what's really fun about being a teacher as well like I grew up with you know my mom being a professor and it's really cool because you keep learning more and more about your subject as yeah. time goes on so that's really cool but I think um also what can be difficult is like going to speak in front of your students at times I think that's something my mom has mentioned like I don't know if you've dealt with that where you get a little bit of anxiety around like the public speaking or around having to um, prepare something and having a student correct you like what are some uh, experiences you might have had with that if any mm, yeah especially in the beginning everyone told me like you have to speak louder you're not mm -hmm. loud enough for everyone to understand you so I was kind of anxious I guess and obviously if you stand in front of 30 people looking at you and expecting you to say something smart it can be kind of challenging especially when they ask you a question you don't know because Obviously, mm -hmm. we teachers don't know everything. Like, we do have questions where we think... Uh, what? You don't know everything? Yeah. <laughs> I, my, my always answer is then, like, I always say, oh, well, that's an interesting question. Try to find out for a next lesson. And if you don't know by then, I will tell you. So I have the time to Google <laughs> next lesson. <laughs> you kind of learn how to respond to that. But sometimes I tell them that I don't know. And they are shocked as well. But mm -hmm. I think it's super, super important for them to learn that I don't know everything and I'm human and it's okay to know or to not know something. Um, yeah, yeah, that can be kind of challenging, especially when sometimes your headmaster comes and visit you and watches your lessons and see what you're doing. If something like that happens, then it can be kind of embarrassing. Mm -hmm. I had a student started crying when my headmaster was in class. That was <gasps> well. Yes. Why were they crying? He was just feeling bad. He had like a, a, a sore throat or yeah, sore throat or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Good timing. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, not enough. Please cry later. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, not really. I I was not really anxious standing in front of class, which is mm -hmm. funny because I'm super anxious having this recorded because I can't <laughs> myself because I think I sound weird, but Everyone does, don't worry. Class, I don't have to listen to myself that much. I just have to mm -hmm. talk. And it's, I, I got used to it, basically. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's always a bit um, exciting when you go into a new class or, you know, I'm going into a challenging class, which is a bit more 
um, difficult to get to work. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say that I'm anxious about it. It's just... Yeah. Yeah, I think it depends, especially you've had so much experience as well. I think it's always at the beginning you get like a little bit of like excitement even. It could be like not even being anxious, just being excited and also like wanting to really help them learn, you know, because it's kind of your, it's your job and it's your goal. And and it's difficult because, you know, if you feel like you haven't really accomplished that, it's also like, man, how can I help this kid? Because you cannot really force information into people's brains, you know, so yeah. yeah. that's depressing if you see students that are that are able to learn and that are really smart but mm-hmm. they're just so lazy and they don't want to learn and that's kind of like wake up please learn because yeah. I was the same in, in that age time but now I know better and I want them to know better also but obviously yeah. they need to wake up by themselves yeah, and especially with uh, right now what we're all going through with the quarantine, the virus, like, I'm curious if you have um, any tips for parents of how they can keep their kids, like, entertained or, or informed or anything that teachers can also do that are in a similar, working with a similar age range for their students. Um, yeah, I mean, there are some information uploaded. I, I don't know where, to be honest, I, in the internet. And there mm-hmm. are also recommendations what you can do with your child. So, um official sites have published something I can't really tell you where to find it because I don't know now but there are many recommendations uploaded what you can do and also um, I mean now the face masks are getting kind of difficult to get and Mm -hmm. some um, explanations how you can do your own face masks and so people doing face masks for for example, hospitals or supermarkets and stuff like that and donate them, which is a kind of cool thing, I, I guess. Yeah. Is it doing something good? And yeah, I really like that. And also you can go for a walk. You are not stuck at home. Mm-hmm. I would tell them to go out for like an hour or something and just walk through the woods or through the nature. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good activity. And in terms of like you personally and your students, like um, you, we talked on the phone the other day and you mentioned how you, you were worried about them not being able to keep up with, you know, their school and their lessons. What have been some like activities you've done to keep your students informed in, in the lesson plan that you're trying to maintain? Yeah, I uploaded some, some tasks for them to do and send mm-hmm. them to their accounts, but also to their parents' accounts. And um, as I said, it's voluntarily. I can't force them to do it, but I'm really hoping they are doing that. That's why I send it to their parents because most of the time the parents are like, no, you're doing that. Um, yeah. And I write them emails regularly and asking them how they are doing. And we just had a Skype meeting this um, this morning with our colleagues and um, they told us to maybe do a Skype conference or something with our class to just check up with them if everything is okay because they're also worried that now while um, while the families are stuck at home together, maybe violence can rise. Not that we had any cases about that, but it could be. And so we, we are, mm-hmm. um, they told us to check in with our students, yes. Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, that's that's a, another issue, I guess, that's a lot of people are concerned about, you know, especially students that come from families with that kind of thing. So, 
Yeah, let's hope all the people out there are staying safe. <laughs> yeah. There's only so much you can do, but that's that's why teachers are so important, you know, going back to that. It's like, you know, you do so much more than just actually teaching. Like, you're really connected yeah. to the students themselves, and you act as an advocate for them as well. So yeah. that's really cool. Um, switching gears a little bit, I wanted to also discuss your um, diet that you usually do with eating. So, um yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about being vegan and how that's been for you, especially in Germany where it's mostly a meat-eating country? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we grow up eating meat all the time and like you get meat to every meal basically. And mm -hmm. so I went a vegetarian in June uh, together with my boyfriend and then in July I decided to go or to try out vegan. Mm -hmm. um, I thought I would do that for a month and then go back to being vegetarian stuff. And then I kind of stick to it because it wasn't that hard as I imagined it to be. And it's just, for me, the right thing to do. And so it's been kind of challenging, even, uh, especially in the beginning. Yeah, I used to eat a lot of meat, like yeah. really a lot of meat for every meal. And so when I went vegan in a two-month period, it kind of was hard to figure out where to get my nutrients and what I can eat basically mm. without it being very boring and so that was kind of hard but I think nowadays you have so many options as a as a vegan even in Germany where it's not a big thing I mean when you travel to LA for example it's super easy to get so many stuff uh, so mm -hmm. many things um that is that are vegan and it's so easy to find vegan options and in Germany, it's kind of hot sometimes, but um, I think it was harder a couple of years ago where it wasn't such a big thing. Yeah, so it's yeah. not that bad, actually. It's doable. Yeah, I think for me, it was um, a big culture shock when I came to Germany the first time. And I actually saw, like, for breakfast, it's like a bunch of bread, cheese, and, like, sliced meat things yeah. like bologna and like all these really interesting mixed yeah. uh things <laughs> I don't know how to describe it but there's like a lot of pork a lot of sausage you know of Everywhere. course yeah so it's really difficult to like try to cut that out or to say no so like how has that been with your family actually I was curious H have they warmed up to you being vegan or is it really difficult still with yours and with your boyfriend's family uh, so they did now. In the beginning, um, they were kind of like, oh, you stopped feeding me? Why would you do that? So they didn't really understand. Um, mm -hmm. My mom, she didn't stop eating meat, but she eats less meat now. And she's um, getting all the vegan alternatives by now, which mm -hmm. I really love. And I think I'm lucky that my boyfriend is also, um, we went vegetarian together and he's, um, I always call him, an at-home vegan so mm -hmm. he eats vegan with me when we're here and when we're out eating in a restaurant or something he would pick the maybe vegetarian option or even the vegan option so I think that makes it quite easy for me because obviously we eat together all the time um, but when we're with our family we usually bring our own stuff so we don't expect anyone to prepare something vegan for us or vegetarian or something like that so I bring okay. oat milk, I bring my own cheese or cheese, not really cheese, obviously, but uh, my mm -hmm. own alternatives and spreads and stuff like that. So they don't have to buy something for us. And I did that from day one. And so yeah. I got some comments about it, but they 
didn't really had an alternative to accept it because I brought everything myself. I didn't expect them to do something. And by mm -hmm. now they're kind of interested and we talk about it more openly and it's not a big thing anymore. Yeah. A lot of people argue that it can be like pretty financially like expensive, I guess, to be vegan. How has that been for you? I think it's not because when you look at the supermarket, the most food that is really cheap is actually vegan. It's fresh fruit, it's fresh vegetables, maybe canned beans, lentils, mm -hmm. rice, potatoes. That is all very, very cheap food. And it yeah. can be expensive if you really depend on vegan alternatives like um, fake meat and cheese and um, milk and stuff like that. That is a bit more expensive than the non-vegan things. But yeah. um, if you use that just as a special thing and not as a regular thing, ve being vegan is actually cheaper than not being vegan. Meat is more expensive than being vegan. Yeah, I actually realized that as well. Like, uh, my boyfriend Florian and I are both um, actually a lot more vegetarian now, like, especially him, which is huge, like, surprise, probably for you as well, Yana, because yeah. uh, he eats a lot of tofu with me, which is hilarious, because that's, we've mostly just gotten that, and, and the reason for that is because the meat that we could get is such cheap quality from the store across the way. Yeah. And it's, it's just not, it smells terrible. It's, it goes bad so quickly. And that's the other thing, like with tofu, you don't really have to worry. It can stay there for weeks even. And like, or at least a week after it's cooked and you know, you're good. Like with me, it's just, it goes bad very quickly. It smells, it's just, it's not pleasant for me. So I've told him you can go to the butcher if you want to get like your meat. Even his parents were like, you need to get better quality meat, yeah. but he's so lazy that he's like, I'll just eat tofu with you. It's fine. So, so yeah, we're predominantly a vegetarian household now, which is cool because yeah, it's not that hard. We used to buy the cheap meat um, all the time when we were still eating meat. And it's kind of funny because I was always that person that I now think, oh, God, stop talking, please. Because <laughs> when I would talk to vegetarians or vegans, and I was like, yeah, I always get, like, the expensive meat. And I kind of thought I did. But then um, buying, like, sliced meat for breakfast or um, something you would get get on the hand, you always uh, you can't always control what <laughs> quality of meat you, you get. And even though if you would get um, something from the butcher for your main dish – you always had like these cheap meats throughout the day. And so yeah. I wasn't really going, uh, I wasn't really getting um, high quality meat only. Yeah. And so people think they do. And when we look at the statistics, what kind of meat is bought, then we see that most of, pe most of the people don't. Like it's the cheap meat that is being bought the most. And so that's right. kind of like worrying for me and I really hope that when we can take one good thing from this corona pandemic it's that we should take care of our actions depending on animals mm -hmm. um, and it's not only um, the markets in China I'm I'm not saying that that is the only point but also if we look at the pork or beef industry here in Germany or in whatever country you look at, it's really bad. And we really treat the animals bad and we're feeding them antibiotics. And it's, it doesn't like really surprise me that we having all these illnesses going around. Right. Um, when we're treating our animals, 
that bad. I mean, look at bird flu, look at the swine flu, the mad cow disease, and it's all coming from animals. So I wonder when we will wake up and see that we can't do that anymore. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's terrible. And as well as the environmental impact, like there's yeah. there's just a lot of ways that humans are good at uh, killing their environment and themselves. Yeah. So, you know, it's important to recognize that and every little step counts. That's the other thing I always tell people because I'm not this uh, gung ho, you know, a vegan that's yelling at someone and saying you're, you know, murdering, you're, you're a murderer or something, you know, like there are these people that are very yeah. activist type and I'm okay, like you do what you want, but if it interferes with my daily life, like it's a little bit too much and everyone will do what they want. So I think mainly spreading awareness around it and then telling people yeah. like even little swaps like you're doing with your family, like swapping out small things is really good, you know? Yeah. Like if you go in and, and, yell at people and um um how do you say when you giving people a hard time about something you're yeah I guess like, nagging people or like uh yeah I'm not sure Vorwürfe <laughs> machen maybe you know the German word ich mache Vorwürfe um I think if you go into people and tell them what they do wrong and giving them like a bad oh like shaming and shaming them yeah that would yeah be the yeah word. Mm -hmm. I think it's harder for you to reach them so yeah. I I wouldn't um, I wouldn't ever tell a meat eater that's sitting next to me eating meat oh you're bad because you're eating meat do you do you know what's happening like open your yeah. eyes I would never do that but if people come to me asking me why I'm vegan I would um, obviously discuss that with them and tell them my reasons and talk with them about it and then I feel like I can reach more within them and they kind of start thinking about that more as if I would go there and telling them they are bad humans for doing that. Exactly. Then a lot of people close up and don't listen anymore because it's hard to, and that that's what I had. It's hard to kind of really concentrate on your own mistakes and on your mm -hmm. own values. And I always recognize like, my values when I saw something in, in TV for example that was going with animal agriculture I was felt bad about it and I always knew okay I should stop doing that but it kind of I never really had this situation where I kind of focused on my values and what I really wanted to do with that and I had this I was kind of torn and mm -hmm. so now since being vegan I just recognized that my actions actually go in one line with my values and my moral thoughts. Exactly. So that yeah. Good now, and I think that is just a hard step to do to really look at yourself and your own behavior and really think about what you want to do with right your values. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we have an expression like that. That's like practice what you preach. And, you know, yeah. if you're, you have to demonstrate it, I think, with action rather than just words and nagging people right. and trying to convert people. Like, just, yeah. you know, let them see you at the cafeteria getting the vegan option and telling them, like, yeah, it's actually really good if they ask you about it, you know, and let people come to you, I think, is better, actually. Yeah. What I yeah. also like to do is like preparing vegan food for for people so when it was Tim's 30th birthday I made two vegan cheesecakes mm -hmm. and another vegan cake I think it was vegan brownies or something and I always take my own oat milk for example and I always let people try and I always prepare food for them and be like try try eat my vegan food and 
I always enjoy when they say, oh, it's delicious. Not because I want to have compliments for my cooking, but I always enjoy <laughs> when they recognize, oh, vegan food can be good. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. Nice. And compliments yeah. are nice, too. <laughs> but it's not the main reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're definitely a good cook. I can't wait to have more of your vegan food next time. So cool. tacos with soy riso I brought that back from, from America. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I miss soy riso. <laughs> oh, me too. And I always have to think about you preparing Mexican food. I always have to think about the vacation at your house. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so much fun. I yeah. yeah. I hope we can travel again soon. <laughs> well, great. I think we're going to go ahead and close things off here. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and ask you a closing question. Okay. And don't think about it too much. It's just a fun one that I found and thought about you. So if you could speak any language fluently starting when you wake up tomorrow, which one would it be? Spanish. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot I, about that. I would love to speak Spanish. And... Um, I learned it in school for three years and I'm really not good at it and uh, it bothers me a lot and I always want to learn it and so when I was with you and your mom I always asked you to speak Spanish with me and I kind of understand it a bit but I mm -hmm. can't form a sentence which is really bad so yeah it was it would definitely be Spanish yeah well yeah maybe we can do some at-home lessons if this virus yeah. continues I can yeah. turn it I have to teach Florian as well so yeah maybe we can do like a group yeah. session or something amazing I mean yeah. I hablo uh, hablo un poco español <laughs> muy bien <laughs> Yeah, later on, I think if you just stick to it, like I really like using Duolingo, which is I know everyone says that, but it's like actually good for like daily practice and it helps yeah. you maintain it a bit. I don't know if you use anything else to try to practice new languages like Spanish. I think I use Duolingo for a while, but I, I feel like it kind of gets boring. And also yeah, it does. Always, it repeats, so it's mm -hmm. hard to do it every day. And I think as soon as you stop doing it every day or speaking it every day, you kind of lose your ability to speak it's yeah the same with english like if even if you're really good in english as soon as you stop speaking it for a while you kind of lose the words and you um mess up the sentences and so i do speak english every day since i'm an english teacher so it's kind of okay doing that but mm -hmm. i'm just i don't have the opportunity to speak a lot of spanish and i'm also not good in speaking spanish so I think maybe I have to move to a Spanish-speaking country for a while. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> Just go to Mallorca or something. Yeah. <laughs> sometime. Or Cancun. <laughs> Cancun. I would choose Cancun. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. Well, cool. Let's let's keep working on that together then. And, um, and yeah, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much. by searching for at GeoMonreal and check out my blog on GeoMonreal.com. Want to be on the next episode? Send an email to lifeisatrippodcast at gmail.com. Music from purpleplanet.com. 